You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe who helps people who feel far from God to know Jesus, cultivate freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're also a diverse tribe who welcomes everyone from bikers to bankers, PhDs to GEDs, every age, race, and walk of life. So whether you're a longtime Christ follower or a spiritual investigator, we hope you're encouraged through our content. Enjoy today's teaching. Well, man, it's great to be worshiping with you guys here in the cameo, and also those of you that are worshiping online. We're going to have a good time together today, and I particularly want to invite those of you that are new with us at City Tribe, if you uh, are already a follower of Jesus, or if you're just trying to figure out if God is legit and for real, we call you our spiritual investigators, and we particularly welcome you to explore faith in Jesus at your own pace. And so before we get into the scripture teaching today, what do you say we pray and just ask God by his spirit to communicate with us? So God, by your Holy Spirit, we welcome you to speak to our hearts and we'll choose to obey you in what you ask us to do. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight and useful for your good plans for our lives today. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Well, in recent days, there was an ownership group, and they were led by Rob Walton, who's one of the Walmart heirs. And this group recently purchased the NFL football team, the Denver Broncos. And guess how much they paid for the Denver Broncos? $4.6 billion. And it makes this purchase the most expensive purchase of a sports team in history here in North America. And so Rob Walton is the eldest son of Walmart founder Sam Walton, and he inherited a ton of money. In fact, now Rob Walton is worth $57.2 billion He's the 15th wealthiest man in America. And then he's one of, he's actually the fifth richest person to receive an inheritance here in America. So think for a minute, what would it feel like if you inherited enough money where you could go and buy your favorite sports team? That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? I mean, I think I might start with the Spurs. I'd buy the Spurs and I'd assure that they never, ever move to Austin. That would be what I would do, right, on? Can I get an amen on that? Keep Spurs in San Antonio, right, on? But um, check this out. The Bible character that we're going to study today was a guy who was asking Jesus about an inheritance and Jesus changes the game and asks the guy, to give it all. And so as we consider how we can be fruitful, last week it was all in, and this week it's, what if Jesus asks us to give it all? Let's take a look at the story from Luke chapter 18, verse 18. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And when Jesus heard his answer, he said, there's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. 
But when the man heard this, he became very sad for he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so from this text, we're going to break it down verse by verse, and I'm going to show you four kingdom concepts that lead to true fruitfulness in our lives. But before we get to those four, let's go back and look at this young, wealthy Jewish religious guy known as the rich young ruler, and he assumed that he was already going to heaven and was asking for an inheritance in heaven, but Jesus changes the direction of the conversation. Look at what Jesus says here in the next verse, uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 18. It says, once a religious leader asked Jesus the question, good teacher, what should I do to, look at that next word, inherit eternal life? Now, inheritance was deep in the consciousness of Jewish people of this day. And here's what Jesus is trying to do. He's trying to get him to see something else. Look at um, the conversation and how Jesus changes the direction of the conversation in verse 19. Jesus says, why is it that you call me good? Jesus asked him, only God is truly good. So the guy comes to Jesus and he's asking Jesus, hey, Jesus, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, you know, good teacher, what must I do? And Jesus is like, so, hmm, good, huh? Jesus wants him to see the first idea of a fruitful life. And that's that Jesus is more than good. He's God. He's more than just a good teacher. He is God, and a lot of people in our culture today think, oh, Jesus was a nice guy, and he did nice stuff for the poor, and certainly he is all good, but he's more than just good. He is God. That's why in this passage, Jesus says, only God is good. Why is it that you call me good? You know, back in the Old Testament, when one of the Bible characters asked God for his name, what did God say? He said, I am. And then when religious leaders came to Jesus and asked him, who are you? What did he say? The same thing. I am, because Jesus is more than good. He is God incarnate. Not only did Jesus show the rich young ruler something about himself that he needed to understand, but Jesus showed the rich young ruler something about himself that he needed to understand. Look at verse 20. It says, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. And look at the man's reply. I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. The rich young ruler thought he was all good. But Jesus wanted to challenge how all good the rich young ruler is. And here's the second kingdom concept that leads to fruitfulness is the acknowledgement you're not all good. The rich young ruler had to come to an understanding that he wasn't good. He thinks he's kept all these commandments. But can I ask you a question, parents? Do you know any kid who's fully honored his or her parents all the time their whole life? It doesn't matter if you're one of those parents that's got the bumper sticker that says, my kid made the honor roll or whatever. There is no kid 
that has fully honored their parents other than Jesus, right? Uh, so no kid is perfect. It's true what the scripture teaches that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And here's where the rich young ruler was going wrong is he thought, hey, I'm a good person. I've fulfilled all the commandments and I'm a good person who's been blessed with wealth. And he equated those two things and thought, because I'm so good, I deserve the wealth that I've had the knowledge to earn. And that is a mistake. Does God bless us? You bet he does. But what about when he doesn't? Like in Job. Remember Job in the Old Testament? If you hadn't heard the story, he was a guy that was a righteous man. He lived a righteous life, but then he lost his health, his wealth, and his family. And his friends said, oh, Job, you must have sinned against God. And that's why you lost all this stuff. And they, were, they would be wrong in that assessment. But it's all over our culture. We think that if we do good, then we always get good. But that doesn't always happen that way. Have you seen the movie, The Sound of Music, the old vintage movie? You know, my mom made me watch it a million times when I was a little kid. And uh, it's the Von Trapps frolicking around the mountains, singing songs and all of this. And remember what Maria sang, Maria Julie Andrews' character in the movie, when she was about to marry a rich guy, she sings, I must have done something good. It sounded a lot better than I just did. I can assure you of that. But we think I did something good and then God's going to always bless us. And sure, he does bless us with a lot. But those two things don't always go together. And Jesus smashes the rich young ruler's assumption of how the kingdom of God works. See, the rich young ruler was asking Jesus about getting an inheritance in heaven. And Jesus turns around and questions, dude, are you actually going to go to heaven? See, the rich young ruler is thinking, what can I add to my already good works to get more inheritance piled on once I assumptively get to heaven? And Jesus says, dude, square one is, are you actually going to get there? You see what's taking place here? You see what Jesus is trying to do? Look, the scriptures teach us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And square one for us here is that we want to help people to know Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, you don't get into a relationship with God through what you do. You get into a relationship with God through what I've done to pay for your sins on the cross. That's the way that it works. And Knowing Jesus is a completely different category than all the philosophies and religions of the world. And we know it because we hear all those philosophies and religions that say there are good people and there are bad people. And good people go to the good place and bad people go to the bad place. And we say there are religious people and then there are irreligious people. And the religious people go to the good place and the irreligious people go to the bad place. And there's the nice people and the naughty people. And the naughty people, you know what happens to them. And the nice people get heaven. But Jesus says it doesn't always work that way. It doesn't matter if you're so righteous that you are Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, and Pope Francis all rolled into one. You're not good enough, and I'm not either, to earn heaven. And conversely, it doesn't matter if you're Osama bin Laden, Jeffrey Epstein, and Yolanda Zaldivar. You're not 
bad enough that you can you can't be reached by the grace of God if you would admit your sin to God and turn to him and trust what Jesus has done for you on the cross. And you know, Jesus is trying to get this rich young man to just acknowledge that he has a need for salvation, for a relationship with God. And I don't worry the most about those of you that have struggled in this life that you can acknowledge that you've sinned. I worry more about those of you that have lived a good life and you think that because you've lived that good life that you're owed a relationship with God and heaven when you die. You know, there are scholars that believe that this rich young ruler that we're studying today is actually the apostle Paul when he's younger. And I think that's an interesting theory. And we see what Paul wrote in Romans 3.20 that could be a clue to what Jesus is doing with the rich young ruler here when it says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight for by the law is what? The knowledge of sin. God inspired the Old Testament of the scriptures and certainly there are a lot of laws there to follow, you know? And the Pharisees added a lot of nitpicky rules to what's actually written there. But the purpose of the Old Testament law is for you and I to read it and say, man, I don't measure up. I can't do all that. It shows us a knowledge of sin. But look at what else Paul says it does. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, it says, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to who? Christ, that we might be justified by faith. We have to die to the idea that we can fulfill all the rules. And some of us, it's pretty easy to understand that, right? Because of our past track record, you know? But what all of us have to do, even those who are good people, we have to drown to the idea that we can be good enough. Has anybody seen that old movie called The Abyss? Do you remember The Abyss? And it's where these scientists, they lived on the bottom of the ocean floor down deep in the ocean in an area called the abyss, right? And they had like a couple of different underwater stations where they would do their work underwater way, way, way down deep. And a couple of the characters in the movie, Bud and Lindsay, they were in one of those underwater pods there on the floor of the ocean and water started coming in. There was a leak. And they're starting to get nervous and they're trying to think, how can we get out of here? How can we live? How can we get over to the other underwater base so that we can breathe and live? And in the second picture, you'll see, you can see how the water is rising up to a point where they had to make a decision. And because of the gear that they had, they did have one oxygen tank, but uh, because of the way the gear was configured and only one person could put on a helmet to breathe oxygen from the oxygen tank, one of them, only one of them could wear it. They couldn't buddy breathe like some divers do all the way over, and they only had enough air in the tank for one person to get there, and they had to decide who could swim and carry the other one. And Lindsay was faced with a chilling choice. She had to choose to breathe in water and allow herself to drown so that Bud could put on the tank and swim with her underwater to get to the other base. And that was her only hope of survival. Can you imagine 
And so I was captivated by this movie and I'm putting myself in her place and thinking, what would it feel like for me if I had to like suck in water and drown? Well, in the next picture, you'll see that the group in the other base, once Bud was able to swim her over there all that way, they got her there. They did CPR on her and it was kind of tense, you know, because she didn't respond for a long time and they kept working on her and working on her and finally, (gasps) she breathed and she lived. And here's why I shared that illustration with you is because I've had to come to a place in my spiritual life where I realized I didn't have what it takes to live spiritually, to have relationship with God. I had to drown to the idea that I could save myself and just trust that Jesus would revive me. You see what's going on here? And this is what's happening with the rich young ruler. But look at the third concept that leads to fruitfulness, and that is Jesus will challenge your little G God. He will challenge your and my little G God's just like he did with the rich young ruler. Look at verse 22. When Jesus heard his answer, remember his answer? The rich young ruler said, I'm good enough. And when Jesus heard his answer, he's trying to get him to drown. There is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. See what Jesus is doing there. He refuses to stay academic and he cuts right to the heart of the matter like only Jesus can do. He gets personal, see? The rich young ruler knew he was missing something or he wouldn't have been talking to Jesus. And he perhaps thinks in his mind, hey, there's just one little religious deed I can do that'll get me over the hump where everything will be okay. And Jesus realizes he cuts through all the outer layers to the real heart of the matter, what the rich young ruler's little G God was. And look, this is the way Jesus works sometimes is that he challenges those that put up a smoke screen or a layer of self-protection on the outside. I've met some people that would say, you know, I would really go full on all in with Jesus if I could just have intellectual answers for faith. Well, you've got to know that the intellectual answers are there. At the top levels of scholarship with scholars like N.T. Wright and many others, of course, there's Tim Keller, C.S. Lewis. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. The answers are there for someone that's open-minded and bold enough to receive the answers. And Jesus has a way of cutting right through whatever our smoke screen is. Other people say, you know, I think I would, I could believe if God would do a miracle for me, if he could just like do one of his little tricks, then I would see that he is legit and for real and I would believe in him. But Jesus questions that too. In fact, one time he said, hey, these people won't even believe if someone rises from the dead. And there were people that saw Jesus rise again from the dead miraculously and still didn't believe. So God will cut right through to the real cancer. And some people, their little G God is their money. This story of the rich young ruler is the only story in the gospels where someone's asked to sell it all. Even Zacchaeus, who gave away much of his wealth to make up for the way that he had cheated people, 
but he didn't end up giving it all. And a lot of people want to run back to their comfortable little G gods in the darkness, but Jesus shed light, sheds light on our souls and what's really there. Because the reality is for many, many people is that we don't want Jesus to shine a light in our hearts and reveal our little G gods because there's something in our hearts that we're not willing to give up to him. You follow me? And that for some people, it may be their sex. It's like, I want to have sex when I want, how I want to, with whom I want to. And that's their little G God. For other people, it's their career. For other people, it's their religious traditions. For some people, it's their children. And like Abraham was asked to give God his son, God will require your little G God of you. For the rich young ruler, it was his money. And when God sheds the light on your heart and reveals that little G God, be careful what you do in that moment. There's a pastor and author, Andy Stanley, who says, if you'll pause in that light, your eyes will adjust and the truth will set you free. So pause in the powerful light of God's presence in your life because he may require something of you. Author and pastor Tim Keller says, Jesus requires more than you ever thought, but he offers more than you ever imagined. See, that's the truth. You know, last week, many of us stood and made a commitment and a prayer to be all in with Jesus. And here, a young man is being challenged to be all in with what matters the most to him, his money. And he failed the test. You know, we want Bible stories to have perfect endings, right? Don't we? That's why, you know, people watch those Hallmark shows, right? Because it's like every time the character has a problem and then the character adjusts, you know, and there's a happy ending and everyone lives happily ever after. But how will this story end? The Bible's very realistic in how things actually work. Look at Luke 18, 23. It says, but when the man heard this, he became very sad for he was very rich. The rich young ruler missed a golden opportunity to have a deeper encounter with Jesus because of his money. And he made a significant error in his thinking. He thought what a lot of people think, that Jesus is trying to take something from me. He thought Jesus wanted to take his money. But let's look back at what Jesus actually said to him. Jesus did say, sell everything and give to the poor. That's the first thing Jesus said, sell everything and give it to the poor. And most people stop here. They think, oh, you know, I can't give my money is my money. And that's what the rich young ruler thought. But look at the second thing Jesus said to him. After you give it to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven. You see what's taking place here? Jesus is actually trying to give the guy something. He's trying to give him a treasure in heaven that's beyond what our finite minds can even comprehend. Something far more valuable than the trinkets of this life. And then Jesus says, come and follow me. And the misconception is, is that Jesus is trying to take something, but look at the next concept of the kingdom that leads to fruitfulness. We, it's when we acknowledge Jesus is a giver, not a taker. 
Jesus never tries to take your little G God when he doesn't give you something altogether better, something way better than what you can imagine. See, when Jesus called Matthew, Matthew had to leave his tax collector booth and follow Jesus. When Peter and John were called by Jesus, they had to leave their fishing business, their homes and their families and In this text, the disciples are asking Jesus, you know, what do we get? We've left everything to follow you. And look at what Jesus said to them in Luke 18, 29. He says, I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over when in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. And that passage was very encouraging to me in a recent God time because I was thinking about how as my parents are aging, I really need to be there for them as much as possible. And they live a long ways away. And Jeannie and I, when we chose to follow Jesus, that led us down here to Texas many years ago. And I understand that people move all over the country away from their families for jobs and such. But for us, it wasn't just a job thing. It was a calling by God thing to move down here to Texas. And what we knew about that was there would be no Sunday afternoon pot roast dinners with the family. There would be no free babysitting on Friday nights by the aunts and uncles or the parents. There would be no growing up with their cousins where they all knew each other, but it would be holidays sporadically only. And when it really hit me was when Jeannie and I first got married many years ago and we moved down to Texas, her parents helped us move and there were boxes all over our little tiny apartment and boxes all over the front porch. And I looked at my wife as her parents who were wonderful parents and gave her a wonderful upbringing They were waving goodbye out of that car and driving off and the tears were just flowing down my wife's face because she was obeying God to marry me and follow Jesus. And every holiday since then, when we go visit the family and we drive away in the car, the tears rolled down her face because of what we left. And then there was the time when I was called back into the ministry from the marketplace. I had a great corporate job and God was calling me back. But here was the problem. I had a really great bonus coming. You know, I'd worked hard for that bonus, but God was calling me back into the ministry. And I negotiated with God. I'm like, God, can we talk about this? Have you ever done that with God? God, look, I think we can find a win-win here. You know, you see how you do, you know, isn't it funny how we do? Check it out, God. Here's an idea. How about I just stay there long enough to get my bonus? Then I can go to the ministry, you know? And it wasn't an audible voice, but it was a voice in my heart. No, son. I have another treasure for you that's way beyond this bonus. And you know what dawned on me? I've already received my treasure in this life. I already received it. 
you know what my treasure is? It's you. It's you. People are the true treasures in the kingdom of God. And I get to see my treasure now in you and in the life to come. I'm rich with the treasures of people, the kingdom of God. When I look around at some of your faces and I know what you've been through and I'm so proud of you and I love you, you are the treasures of this kingdom of God. You know, I, uh, I've got this friend in our church and he's trying to follow Jesus the best he knows, knows how. And one time, Jesus said to him, I require your stock options. And he had worked hard at what was a startup company that blew up. And that's what he's going to rely on for his retirement. And Jesus came to him spiritually. It wasn't an audible voice. But it's like, I require those stocks options to build a school for some kids in Western Africa and Liberia. And he gave it all when it was required of him. And so I went over there to get some footage of the children and, you know, just congratulate the, the folks on their new school that was purchased over there that, you know, our church and this friend in particular helped to pay for. And they thanked me for it, but really I was receiving a thanks that's due to you and my friend who gave his stocks options for that school. You want to see a little video, one of the little videos that I took over there? Take a look. For and on behalf of the Future Life Academy family, I welcome you to Liberia, especially on our campus. Kindly accept this bucket of flowers as an appreciation for your kindness. May God continue to give you the strength to do your work. I thank you. Please take it. You are welcome. Thank you. So my friend who gave his stock options, when he saw that, how do you think he responded? Well, tears came to his eyes because he's got to see a little girl who is a treasure and hundreds like her who now are being educated and given a brand new opportunity at life because of their education and their learning about Jesus in their school as well. And it's because Jesus is a giver, not a taker. And perhaps the greatest gift that he's ever given or the greatest deed he's ever done to reveal his heart to give to us is revealed later in this chapter in Luke, when he tells the disciples what's going to happen, 
Luke 18, 31, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans and he will be mocked, treated shamefully and spit upon. They will flog him with a whip and will kill him. Jesus gave his very life because he's a giver, not a taker. And when you look at that picture on screen, you've got to understand that physically it was perhaps far worse than what this picture can depict. And he did that to pay for my sin and yours. And what came upon him spiritually was far worse than what happened physically. Can you imagine all the sins of all the people who have ever believed the betrayals, the lies, the violence, the abuse of every sort? And all of that spiritually went upon Jesus on the cross. And if any one of us experienced that for one second, there would be no amount of therapy or meds that could heal us. And he did all that because he's a giver, not a taker. And he loves you. If you don't know him, he wants to invite you into love relationship with him. If you'll drown to your goodness and your thought that you can be good enough to earn love relationship with him. But if you'll just receive it and by faith, trust that he's going to resuscitate you. And I think it would be totally appropriate for us to stop now and just pray. And as we go before the Lord in prayer, if you've never started love relationship with God through Jesus, today is your day. And if you would like to, just talk to him. We call that prayer. Just talk in your own heart. This is between you and God. And you perhaps could just say something like this. Just say in your own heart, God, look, I know I've sinned and screwed some stuff up. And I acknowledge that my goodness is not good enough to earn relationship with you. I choose to believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin. And he rose again from the dead to give me new life. If you just prayed that, I'd like you to look up at this next verse, Luke 1831 through 33, the last verse there is it says, but on the third day, he will rise again. And just as you looked to that picture of the cross where he died, look to this picture that he rose again to prove to us that he was legit. He really did literally bodily, physically rise again from the dead and the evidence is there for it. We can read about it and see it and look back at the ancient documents and history and all the many proofs that he actually did what he said. So look at that just for a minute and realize there's an empty tomb today because Jesus is a giver, not a taker. He's legit. And if you just prayed to begin a relationship with him, welcome to the kingdom of God, the family of God, right on? But there's one more prayer to pray. And this prayer is not to earn anything, 
but it is to submit something. It's not to earn your way in, but it's because by grace you've already received entrance to his kingdom. And this is the all-in commitment. And just like last week, I'm going to ask you to stand if you can say this. But if you can't, don't feel, you know, guilt or shame. If you can't stand up during this, I understand that it takes some time. And so if you can say I'm all in with Jesus, stand up and repeat these words after me in prayer. Jesus, you gave your life for me. I choose to submit my life to you. Take all my little G-gods. I love you more than anyone. I love you more than anything. Jesus, I give you my very life. Whatever you ask, I will give. I'm all in with you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You guys, give it up for the others standing around you and uh, go ahead and take a seat and turn to someone next to you and tell them Jesus is a giver, not a taker. Isn't that good? He's so good to us. So as we wrap up today, um, I wanna encourage you for, you know, some of you weren't able to stand up and we wanna say to the rest of us, that's okay, take your time, man. We would rather you like not stand up and really be thinking about it than stand up, be lying and just swept into some group thing. You know what I'm saying? And so all of us who did stand up, we say, it's okay, we love you. And let's keep looking into it and searching uh, for, for God and, and Jesus there. Now, uh, we will have some prayer leaders available after the service. And now I think we're at a point where we have a prayer leader up front here after service, if that'd be helpful for you. Also, I want to tell you a little bit about next week. Ladies, this is for you, that everywhere Jesus is moving, you'll see women empowered to do the work of God. And we're going to talk about that next week. And men, this is for you too. And you know why? Because I know most of the men here, you want the ladies in your life to be empowered and to thrive, don't you? And that's your, that's your heart for the women in your life, for your mom, your sister, your wife, your, your daughters, you know? So come on back next week. We'll explore that in the scriptures together. Now, the last thing I want to remind you about is related to our offering and our financial commitments to the Lord. And of course, if you're not into God or whatever, you're just checking things out, we're not after your money. We're really trying to give you something that those of us that are all in, we know that all in means every facet of our lives, don't we? Like it means our resources too. And a lot of people will start with a tithe, you know, it's like a 10% kind of deal. But what we really want to do is we want to come to Jesus and say, what do you require of me? Um, not just some dude on the stage, but Jesus, what are you saying to me about but what you want to do with the resources that you put in my, you know, management? So um, just pray. And ask God, what am I supposed to do today? And whatever you ask is what I will be obedient to do because Jesus, I'm all in with you. And here at this church, what we're trying to do with the resources, we're trying to fully leverage them to impact people because people are the treasures of the kingdom. And certainly it's people here in San Antonio and in our church and our community around here, but it is also in West Africa and Mexico and 
few blocks over for homeless families at Strong Foundation uh, Ministries for Homeless Families and in other parts of the world. So before you guys worship through your generosity, know that there are four ways to pull that off. Since we don't pass buckets or plates here at City Tribe, you can mail your tithes and offerings in. You can text to tithe if that's convenient for you. You can find all this information at our website, which is citytribe.church slash tithe. Um, also, you can give in person at the kiosks that are located near the exits of the theater. There's one here in the theater. There's another in the lobby. So before you guys worship through your generosity and, and honor God in that way, let's stand up together. And would you guys receive some positive words over you today before you take off? For some of you, you like to put an arm around your crew that's with you. So others like to put their hand out in a position to receive. Dear brothers and sisters, as you walk from this place, by faith, hand over your little G gods as he highlighted those things in your heart and walk from here knowing that he's not trying to take from you because our good God, Jesus, is a giver, not a taker. Go from here with all that he's given to you to bring his kingdom love into the hearts of the true treasures of heaven. People, go from here and love people. We'll see you guys next Sunday. You're loved. Peace. We're glad you were a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check the City Tribe YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, or our website, citytribe.church. May you go from this podcast knowing that you are loved.